One of the gifts that the Lord's given us this morning is intern Jalisa um, is called to preach the word. And so we're going to pray for her before she does that. Lord, um, I thank you for Jalisa, and I pray that you would now um, come upon her with your Holy Spirit and that you would help her to deliver your message to your people. Lord, would you open our ears to receive what you have for us today? And we give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning, church. Can you hear me? Am I on? Good. All right. This morning, the Lord's word comes to us from Luke chapter 22, verses 54 to 62, which gives us page 1640. 1640. Close. And if you're new this morning, or um, if you've forgotten, we're working our way through the book of Luke. And we've just gone to the part where Jesus and his disciples had had the Last Supper. And then they had gone into the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. And then the authorities and Judas had come and arrested Jesus to take him away. And thus begins the Passion narrative. And so here we are at verse 54. Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this fellow was with him, for he's a Galilean. Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. And then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. This is the word of the Lord. There was once a wise seventh grade English teacher. And one day at the end of the school year, she stood up in front of her students and explained that they were going to be taking a very big, very important exam. Now this exam would be cumulative, so it would cover absolutely everything that this class had studied since the beginning, since the fall. And it would be very long, and it would account for 30% of their entire English grade for the year. And so Mrs. Bosma was her name, and she explained to the class that if they weren't doing so well in English so far, and if they didn't study and did very poorly on this exam, there was a potential that they would fail this exam and that they could even fail 7th grade English, which means that you, you wouldn't be able to go on to 8th grade English. 
But Mrs. Bosma was also very kind and compassionate, and so she gave these students everything that they would need to succeed. She set up tutoring sessions, and she gave them study guides and handouts. She urged them to study all the time and even retaught some of the lessons. But as the weeks towards the exam rolled on, the students started to panic, right? They were very afraid of this exam, and so instead of studying and working hard and going to extra classes to learn, they talked about how upset they were with Mrs. Bosma, and they panicked, and they failed to study. And so the morning of the exam rolled around, and the students filed in and took their seats, and they turned over their papers, and their hearts just sunk. This thing was like 10 pages long, They couldn't even understand the questions on this exam, much less formulate some kind of answer. And so they started to panic, and some of them just kind of cried, and and they gave up, right? I'm I'm failing seventh grade English. I don't get to go on to the eighth grade. And others of them began to argue with Mrs. Bosma. Mrs. Bosma, this isn't fair. How How is this fair that we have to take this big exam? And so they finished what they could, and they left the classroom, and they came back in the next morning really forlorn and angry and sad. And they all sat down at their seats, and on every desk was an envelope. And Mrs. Bosma asked them to open their envelopes at the exact same time. And as they all opened their envelopes, at the top of every paper was a great, big, fat, red A. And next to the A, Mrs. Bosma wrote, This is Grace. And I think that Mrs. Bosma very much understood where Peter was at in today's text. So Peter has arguably gone through the longest, most exhausting night of his life. Okay, He had just had the last supper with the disciples and with Jesus, and Jesus had been telling them that this day is coming when he would be taken, when he would die. And this is very heavy and very sad. And so they had gone into the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. And Jesus had reminded them, we need to pray because these terrible things are coming. And as they were in the garden, the officials and Judas had come and they had taken Jesus away. And this entire time, Peter had failed to pray. The Lord had repeatedly asked him, Peter, pray. You need to pray that you wouldn't fall into temptation. And Peter hadn't done that. Do you remember last week when Pastor Dave preached, he explained that when you and I, when humans, face difficult circumstances and we don't pray about them or ask the Lord to help us, we usually occupy one of two responses. We fight or we flight. We run away. And so the disciples, the other disciples, when Jesus was arrested, we learned from the other Gospels, they ran away, right? This got difficult and they ran away. Peter, when Jesus was arrested, decided to fight. Right? He took out his sword and he lopped off the ear of the man who had come to arrest Jesus. He was fighting. And so the other disciples leave and Peter still hasn't prayed and he's in this fighting mindset. And so he follows Jesus because they're going to take him to the high priest's house. So this means basically he's going to start this whole process of prosecuting Jesus to get him on the cross. So they're taking him to the high priest to, be, to begin that system. And so a bunch of people have come to follow because they want to know what's going to happen to this man, Jesus, who's just been arrested. And so it's getting late, and it's getting cold, and so some people light a fire. And they sit around it to wait to figure out what's going to happen 
to Jesus, and Peter joins this fire. And pretty soon, there's a girl who's clearly probably seen the disciples and Jesus teaching before, and so she says, Peter, I I know you. You were with them. You were with Jesus. And Peter says, I don't know him. And a little while later, someone says, aren't you one of those disciples? And Peter says, no, I wasn't one of them. And later another one says, you're from Galilee. That means that you, you were with Jesus, right? And Peter's getting even more upset and more afraid, and he's, he's getting sadder and more worried, and he says, man, I don't even know what you're talking about. In Peter's mind, he's thinking, I don't want to get arrested like Jesus. I'm afraid. I'm walking on my own. I'm not praying, and, and I don't know what to do. And just as that happens, as he denies Jesus that third time, the sun comes up, morning is coming, and the rooster crows. And Peter begins to weep because he remembers that just last night Jesus had told him, Peter, before the sun comes up, before morning, before that rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And at that point, Peter had said, Lord, there's no way I would deny you. I've given my whole life for you. I wouldn't do that. But he does. And in that moment, Peter realizes, I failed. Just like those students, the minute they flipped over that exam, he went, I didn't pray. I didn't ask the Lord for help. I messed up. And he weeps. He's been wallowing in his own sadness and his own worry and his own stress, and he's not praying as the Lord had asked. And, you know, I don't think that Peter's the only one who does that. I don't think he's the only one that fails to pray and ask the Lord for help. I don't think he's the only one that chooses to wallow and dwell on our stress and our worries instead of turning to the Lord. I know that I do it all the time. My to-do list gets a little bit high or life gets a little hard and I start to feel the pressure. And then instead of praying, I I decide to buckle down and I'm going to do it and I'm going to figure it out and I'm going to take it step by step. And because I'm just doing it on my own, I tend to act out and I say snarky things to my spouse. (laughs) And I send emails at work that instead of being gracious and compassionate are kind of demanding, right? Asking people to follow my deadlines because I'm stressed out. And when the pressure gets too heavy and too big and I'm too worked up about it, I run away and I hide and I need a day off and I need to sit at home and I need to wallow and I need to pout about how hard this is and how I can't get over it because I haven't turned to the Lord in prayer. But we aren't just left in that spot of feeling hopeless and of believing the devil's lies that we're not going to get through it, that we're not going to be good enough, that we're not strong enough, that he doesn't have plans for us. And Peter isn't left there either. The Bible doesn't leave Peter out to dry now. Peter's, Peter continues in this story of the Bible. So Peter's weeping because he realizes that he failed, like those students. But I think that he realizes something else. You see, the night before, when Jesus had said, Peter, you're going to deny me three times, Jesus had also said, Peter, the evil one has come to the Lord and asked that you would fall victim to your sin that you're going to sin, 
and that the evil one wants to take you under. But I, Jesus, have been praying on your behalf that you would not be swallowed up by your sin, that you would be able to turn back to me, and that you would still be able to fulfill the good plans that I have for you. So essentially, Peter realizes that Jesus knew that he was going to sin, and that Jesus had been praying this entire time that Peter wouldn't be swallowed by that sin, and that he would still turn around, turn back to Jesus, and be able to fulfill those good plans and purposes that the Lord had for him. The text says that after that rooster crowed, what happens? The Lord looks, turns his head, and turns straight to Peter. Now imagine what that look was. Was it an angry look that said, Come on, Peter. I told you, I warned you, I gave you what you needed to get through this, and you still screwed up. You denied me publicly. I don't, I don't think that was the look. I think it was a look that said, Peter, I told you, you still messed up, and now I hurt because you hurt. It's that look that a mom gives a child after she told him repeatedly not to touch the hot pan, and he does it anyway, right? And it's that look that says, I asked you not to do that because I knew it would hurt you, and now I hurt because you hurt because I don't want any of us to hurt. It's a look of love, of deep love and compassion and grace. Peter, he says, I knew you were going to sin. I've been praying for you, and I still have good plans and purposes for you. The Bible goes on to say that Peter is the rock on which the church is built. Just think about that, that grace. This is a man, the only disciple to publicly deny Jesus in his hour of need three times. And this is the rock on which the church is built. And that grace that the Lord bestows on Peter isn't just for Peter. Did you know that the Lord is never, ever surprised by your sins? Just think about that. Sometimes I think when I sin, the Lord is up there having a pity party, like, come on, Jaleesa, why'd you do that? How could you do something that bad? It's not like that. He, he knew yesterday <laughs> that I was going to do that. He knows, he knows that tomorrow you're going to have a little road rage. He knows that next week you might say something snotty to your child or your spouse. He knows that you might do some wallowing and some not turning to him later. He, he knows your sins. Not only does he know that you're going to sin, he is literally praying for you right now. Just think about that. Jesus is praying for you so that when you sin, you won't fall victim to the evil one, that you'll be able to turn around back to the Lord, and that you can still do those beautiful, great plans that he has for you. Now, I don't want you to hear this and think, okay, so I can just keep on sinning, right? Because Jesus is just going to keep bailing me out. It doesn't work that way. Sin has consequences. Sin has the power to hurt us, to harm us, to hurt other people. It has the power to change us. This is why the Lord asks that you don't sin, because he does not want you to fall victim to the consequences 
of those sins. And additionally, sin can be a foothold for the evil one. Okay, so when you sin, you're starting to live in fear. And that gives the evil one a foothold to sit in you and to tell you things like we talked about earlier. You're not good enough. The Lord doesn't have good plans for you. You're not coming out. Jesus doesn't want you to fall victim to that kind of foothold. And says, so he says, don't sin. But if you do, I'm praying for you. I'm interceding that you can turn around and come back to me because I still have good plans for you. I want you to hear me when I say that your sins, no matter what you've done, where you've been, your sins cannot undo the good plans that the Lord has for you. And so as we approach the communion table this morning, let us approach with gratitude. Let us approach with peace. The peace that knows that the Lord knows your sins, that he's willing to forgive your sins, and that he's praying for you through your sins, and that he still has good plans for you. Do you feel that peace? Let's approach with the gratitude knowing that Christ died on the cross so that we might not be swallowed by the evil one. With the gratitude that despite our sins, he still has good plans for us. Can you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace. And we thank you for your forgiveness. And we thank you for your peace, Lord. Thank you that we can be undone by your grace. Lord, I just ask that you fill us with that peace that knows that you have good plans for us, Lord, that you would take away the pain of guilt and, and the pressure and the lies that the, that the evil one would have us believe that you don't have plans for us, Lord, because you do. And we're so very, very thankful for them. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross and for saving us from our sins. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to think about Pastor Dave and maybe what the life of a pastor looks like. He's not so concerned about what you know about biology, but he's concerned about your spiritual walk. He's the spiritual shepherd here along with Pastor Gina and some of our other staff. So he's concerned about where are you at with God. And he celebrates your joys with you and he walks through the That's not work that he punches up at 5 o'clock and then goes home and forgets about. He goes to bed thinking about us and wakes up in the morning praying for us. And that's a spiritual burden that he and his family and some of the other staff members have been praying for a very long time. So when Pastor Gina came and was hired, one of her requests was if our church would consider developing a sabbatical policy, something we hadn't had. Uh, but as the board began to look at what they meant and what they were for,
So it will be a huge blessing to Pastor Dave. It will also be a huge blessing to our church. For two reasons. One, he'll return holy and healthy. And two, um, we'll have some opportunities when Dave has gone to step into some leadership positions and to grow. Um, so it's an opportunity for our church to have some people grow in some of these areas. So in two weeks, um, we're going to have a special offering for Pastor Dave. Sabbaticals aren't cheap, especially uh, he's not going to sit in his basement for six months watching Netflix. Go <laughs> <laughs> different places. They're going to be in a few different programs, and those require funding. So we're going to have the opportunity to bless Pastor Dave and his family as they begin to prepare for the sabbatical uh, by giving to them financially and, and trying to support the cost of these uh, sabbatical things that they're going to do. So that's in two weeks. If you want more details about uh, the cost of that, there's a, a couple of paragraphs in the bulletin. I encourage you to read for that. So I don't know if I covered everything that you wanted, but there's a second announcement, maybe? I think we're good. All right. Then prayer partners up here, you are dismissed. Go in peace.